the Prison Prophets, songs and stories from the heart of the penitentiary. As things get heated, it's important for us to stay vigilant, stay valiant, and reflect with us on what it means to be a part of a community. Here are your hosts, Warren Smith and August Terrier. A centerpiece of prison prophets is the ideal of reclaiming the goodness that has been denied us. The persons on the outside can assume his or her goodness, and it's especially easy for those with privilege to assume goodness and to ratify that goodness through charitable acts. But for those who are incarcerated, especially for those who have committed violent crimes, forging that goodness can be a lifelong project. Many struggle for decades with feeling outside the circle of belonging. Creating community in prison was never one and done, but in fact a process of learning to accept others for who they were. In this episode, we're going to take you inside a group of men, all musicians who found belonging and community in prison and found a way to reclaim that goodness that had been denied them through the healing power of music. So we have an interview with the superintendent of the prison, Cynthia Link, and conversations with Mike, Blackwell, Benny, and Bernard. Plus plenty of music, including Cody's cover of Keep Me In Your Heart For A While. And with that, let's get this episode started. Yeah, I just gotta find a place. I mean, it's kind of chaotic, but there's a lot of people. Everybody wants their, their time shine, to shine. So, shine, shine. You know, I just kind of step back and stay out of the way and see where I can be used. So the kind of the uh, role of the bass player, you know. To shine. So. They really need to know how to work in a community. They need to know what it is to be part of something. To shine. Reclaiming the goodness that has been denied us. They have a stake in something. To shine. 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 It changed a lot of these guys' hearts. The little that we have is like a treasure. To shine. The pure dignity and the pure respect. You're concerned for our humanity. And he just said, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, just keep going, you know. was always this idea of a community, of a collaboration, right? Both between inside and outside, but also among the participants in the program, right? So we had about 25 guys. And so what we would do sometimes is we would come in and I might bring in some um, some poems or something and I'd cut, up, cut them all up. So we'd have just all these words and we would take people who didn't really know each other, maybe didn't like each other, who knows, and we would say, okay, every table, we're all gonna be at these tables, a bass player, keys player, maybe a horn player if we had enough, um, maybe a lyricist or a singer, you know, we try to put people together who hadn't actually worked together before. And we'd put all these words in the middle of the table and we'd have that eight word hours. just coming in for a couple of hours once a week. We often were there 
for an entire day, which means you were paying the salary of the person who was in charge of, what is it called? Activities director guys. Right. You were paying them to be there all day, sometimes all day Saturday for eight hours, and then we'd come back on Monday for eight hours. So we'd spend a lot of time together. So on one of these eight hour days, we would just tell everyone at the table, okay, you've got until you know X time, say five hours from now, we'd have lunch in there um, to put up a song. Everybody was gonna have to perform a song, a brand new song. And those were the most joyous days. They were pure celebration <laughs> because people were cheering for each other and, and you know jumping into the fray if somebody needed help. And guys who weren't singers were singing and guys were trying out new things, you know? And the support that people got from, me, from one another was absolutely beautiful. So if anybody thinks that we wasted money by paying those salaries. Hell to the no. We did not. Because just like what you said, people who didn't know each other didn't particularly care for one another, now they're collaborating on something. Yes, they Isn't are. Isn't that what community is about? Yeah. And if 98% of the folks who are in prison actually do go home, Yes, they they really need to know how to work in a community. Absolutely. They need to know what it is to be part of something, not to just always be continually on the peripheral fringe. They need to know what it's like to be included. Yes. So when we talk about reentry, we're talking about building blocks that these guys didn't necessarily have. Mm -hmm. But Songs in the Key of Free was an avenue to put those building blocks together so that they could see it to its very end. Oh my gosh, we, we worked together on this project and now we have a song and now we're cheering for each other. Right? That's and, community. Right? And see, if you hadn't green-lighted this and let this happen, what's happened now is they also have something they didn't have before, which is they have a stake in something. Yes. That's very dear to them that the entire world is going to hear. How about that? Right? I can remember that I had asked my mother, um, I was like, these guys are fighting over um, Roman noodle soups, and they're like five for a dollar. Back then, they probably was like 10 for a dollar. But the guys were literally fighting about them. Like, he owed me two soups, and he didn't pay me. And I used to say to myself, well, what's the principle of two soups? They 25 cents. But, and I said to my mom, I was like, yo, these, you know, people are really fighting. We got locked down because these guys were fighting about some soups. And I was like, why, you, why, you know, I don't understand. And she was like, and she said that because they take so much that the little that we have is like a treasure. So even though they were Roman noodle soups, these Roman noodle soups could be all that this man had into his name. So... He was, they yes. treasured that, and I believe that's a form of control. When you take so much from somebody, and then you spoon feed them a little bit, and say, listen, don't make me take that. Like we, they took um, sneakers, you have to buy sneakers from them, they took boots. They take, like they'll take things from you, and the threat of the little bit you have being taken. What we experienced often with Songs in the Key of Free, uh, we were there for three years. We did have 25 people. We, we, it was very important that we build community uh, for, for all of us. You know, we were a community. And yet, um, there was always so much competition that was bred into the very idea of prison so that 
you know, there wasn't enough food. We were always starving when we were there, right? Um, there, there weren't enough instruments. There wasn't enough rehearsal time. We were always wanting to record. Sometimes, yes, we could record. Other times, no, that was taken away, right? And so, of course, everyone there, um, as is a natural human nature, wanted to get what he could. When he could. When he could. And if you then take that from people, you're you're inevitably going to breed competition. And that is very destructive to building community. Why would they want camaraderie? Why would they want the men to stick together? We have to breed contention in the, against the men, for the men because we don't need them to stick together because once they start sticking together, then we can lose control. Yes. So, it, that's, uh, in prison, that's natural for them to do these things. And it's part of prison life. And part of prison life, the thing that is so scary about it is most prisoners don't understand why it's happening. Really? Right. They don't understand why we're fighting against each other, why we're competing against each other. And I'll bring Paul and Tom back up. Yeah. This is the experience of the older guys and say, hey, listen, they they putting y'all at all of this. Why do you think they telling y'all that? Why do you think they told y'all that he told on y'all? You, you understand what I'm saying? And once guys started jamming together, things changed. But it wasn't easy. We relied heavily on each other, and that raised the stakes. And sometimes there were harsh words. Sometimes guys walked out. Sometimes when you start to trust people and rely on them, you're right back in your family of origin. And if you didn't feel like you belonged to your people, you just might need to stage that all over again. One such guy was Mike. He walked out twice. Here's Mike and me in conversation when he returned after walking out a few weeks earlier. In the beginning, like you seemed like you were someone who was a little bit of an outsider. I am the, uh, remember uh, Sesame Street where there was the four boxes and then there was a shaded box with the one kid doing the other thing? <laughs> I'm forever the kid in the shaded box, <laughs> you always. You were very much on the periphery. You weren't sure if you wanted to be in here. And yes. then there was a point that you walked out, and I actually don't even know about that. I didn't even know that you walked out. I'm not doing this to criticize you in any way. But you came back when you were ready. And when mm -hmm. you came back, it was like, I think you maybe had kind of decided that this was something that was valuable to you. Right? And then since then, this is where I'm going. Like the other day when you said to me, it really touched me when you said um, very quietly, I'm a man without a band. But I love the way you said it. Like you weren't being demanding. You weren't like feeling sorry for yourself. You were just sort of be like, you know what? I would like to have a band. I, I feel like we've really gotten to know you in a much more positive way. And they really? Made, yes. Okay. I feel like you are making a really positive contribution to songs like you are a real value to us well you know i'm a pretty uh, deeply musical person not like a musicianship i mean i'm kind of a novice uh, i can still consider myself a novice but always like music so you know i don't know yeah well you also you taught yourself the bass that's incredibly impressive yeah it took a right? while but yeah well you got a lot of time on your hands you know you got time right? to, to do such things right but you persevered yeah. which means like at the beginning if you sucked you got over that 
Now we're going to hear from Blackwell. You might remember him from our first episode, I Still Cry. I'd like to say that um, this program, the workshop, it has been very uplifting, inspiring, right? Because we was like dead in here. We was putting on shows, but we wouldn't, we didn't have the opportunity to have the freedom that you people have given us. And y'all have showed us some dignity and respect every time. It's like when we first met in the annex. I said, these people are coming here, they're gonna be apprehensive, they're coming to prison, these guys in here. You know, we didn't feel none of that. It was like, you know, we knew each other for years. And it's been going on like that ever since we've been here. From October all the way up until now. You know, the pure dignity and the pure respect, the worth that we feel to write songs, to be free, to express what we have inside that we see. And I have written seven compositions. Now you've only seen the copy I gave you. You haven't seen the bass lines, the drum lines, the harmony parts, the guitar parts and stuff like that. So that's real, I love it though. It's a passion for me. I come to find, but it's also frustrating too, because sometimes I lost, I lost a lot of sleep, many nights trying to get up and everything. And you know, I was in the paper one time for something bad, now I'm in the paper for something good. And my mother and them, they, once a year, they go to their convention. And I would tell them, could they postpone it just for this one time? Because they're going to be down this way anyway in New Jersey, <laughs> coming from Virginia. But they're dedicated, so I said, well, you know, you know, and I want them to be here. And I kind of hurt that I, they won't be here. But as I stated, you know, it's just like family. Every time I come down, it's like a visit. It's like I'm getting ready. You know, I got one uniform that I wear. Y'all made me pull on my best browns and everything. <laughs> You know, I'm pulling out the best. My best shoes, my best boots, my issues, you know. But the stuff I wear is usually just a regular block because I'm always working, you know. But um, this has been a real, I mean, I'm not looking forward to the end. It's been exciting. You know, I tell everybody about it. I say, when you see these people coming down the, down the corridor, when you see them, you see rainbows and lollipops and jelly beans, you know. It's like this over top of the head, it's just hovering over top of them, you know, so. Yeah. It's a beautiful yeah. thing, even yeah. the gone. So, I even go, you wanna hear it? I go, I go. When, when the circle songs, everybody felt like they was being, um, you know, uh, dictated to about the songs. And the circle, the warm up, I see them as warm up songs. I see them as American songs. I see them as songs that everybody was familiar with, you know. So, when you pass that list around, I put the love boat down, and then the next week you came back and said, Who's the maniac? <laughs> put down the love boat. I said, I did. It's a beautiful song. And you know how it gone. So I thought I'd play a joke on you and flip it and rewrite it and do an arrangement with it. And I call it the thank you note. A maniac circle song pick. And it goes like this. August. <laughs> Exciting and new. When you're here. We're here with you And August Workshop sweetest reward When you're here You're always cool With the gang of four Today you're making another run With the gang of four Bring something special for everyone.
we began each workshop by gathering in circle. And that circle turned out to be its own magic. It meant that we were all face to face. It was a time of deep listening, of singing together. And in raising our voices, we could heal, at least for the time being, at least in the ways we were able. The title of this episode, Ain't No Kumbaya, those are Blackwell's words. When he said this, he was letting us know, as many of the men did, that there would be challenges in trying to get everyone to work together. He was gently informing us that as outsiders, we couldn't possibly know what any incarcerated person had experienced. Just give me the opportunity to flourish, to go out and stop and pick up where I left off at. And many of us, we've got some good guys in here, we love each other, but we're in prison, we're tired of looking at each other every day. Same guys, we want to see some kids running around in the yard. We want to, we want to be at picnics and with women and, you know, females and the likes, cookouts and interacting, social, social interaction. You know what you guys do every day. Outside of that, we love each other. You know, but we, you know, we be at each other. We ain't gonna be, I ain't, gonna, I ain't gonna hold back and say gonna be no drama. It's some drama. You know, you see the drama down here. Let's keep it real. All these people you brought in here, the engineers, and you got these guest musicians to come in to inspire. It's this amazing workshop. It's amazing, it's beautiful now. So tell her we say hi, and all the engineers, and all the photographers, and all the distinguished guests that you have brought in here, that, and all the musicians that you brought in here to inspire us. Because this is a process, it's a, it's a documentary. It ain't about nobody being a superstar, none of that. It's a documentary about inmates in prison who's trying to come out themselves and do something positive. Now this next voice you're going to hear is Benny. We appreciate you guys seeing value in us and sharing your time and, and your skills and your concern for our humanity. We really appreciate that. Yeah. Our shared humanity, right? Our shared humanity. Yep. It, it also makes us much more human coming yes. in here, right? Makes yes, yes. Feel to, to feel connected yep. to all of you. And we all are working towards being a better man. And being a better man requires having integrity. Integrity means being a better man. I'm working on being a better man. <laughs> all the time, 24-7. And, and character. Character is doing the right thing when nobody's watching. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I just got to find a place. I mean, it's kind of chaotic, but there's a lot of people. Everybody wants their, their time to shine. So, you know, I just kind of step back and stay out of the way and see where I can be used. Mm -hmm. So kind of the uh, role of the bass player, you know, so. Well, another thing, too, is like there's probably 3,500 people here, and uh, I don't think any of them, I could list five bands that nobody's ever heard of. They're like, who is that, you know? But uh, I've always been like an indie rock guy since the beginning. I mean, uh, I'm 40, so uh, when I came up and I was 12 and 13, the cool kids across the street that were 16 and 17 were into punk rock and, and you know, the uh, indie rock scene. So I used to hang out with them, and that's where I kind of got turned on to that. And what would be something college radio. Like, what kind of band? Uh, I was real into, like... Um, I liked, uh, I was really big on like Juliana Hatfield and uh, the Blake Babies when that was around and then Evan Dando and the Lemonheads and that kind of vibe and then uh, kind of deep into punk rock. I love the Dead Milkmen, you know, the Descendants. 
Um, and a lot of this stuff, I mean, wasn't playing on the radio, obviously. And, uh, and what speaks to you about the punk rock? Oh, it's just a DIY. You know, just get up and do it. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, and it's real simple. Um, I'm a bass player, and, and punk rock is very bass guitar driven. So that's where that. It's just the best music. All the music sucks, I guess. But I do like a lot of different things, you know. Like I was raised on Frank, everything from Frank Zappa to Hank Williams. So, uh, you know, at a very young age. What did your parents listen to? Uh, my dad liked Frank Zappa, and you know, my mom was listening to Anita Baker. So it was really yeah, it was pretty wow. yeah. So like when you were a boy, what would be one of your earliest memories of music? Well, I had a a radio, an old. Sony radio that was in a wooden cabinet, and I used to keep it by my bed, and I'd stay up all night listening. And uh, I got I got turned on to Billy Joel for some reason, and uh, this is back in the days of vinyl. And uh, I got a Turnstiles album from Billy Joel and Glass Houses for Christmas when I was seven, maybe six or seven. And I played them until they, you know, the records wore out. Um, and yeah, these days it's that's my favorite my favorite song. Yeah, it just stays with me. Oh, it's just music that moves you, you know, it's, it's so in-depth and uh, I can't explain it, it's just, I mean, I feel the same way about early Billy Joel as I do about, you know, Joy Division or, or you know, Faith No More or some of these other bands. Tell us a little bit about something there. Oh, it's just, well, the song meant something different, I just like the... I guess as you get older, it kind of means different things, you know. But uh, you know, now, as we indulge in things we refined, we hide our hearts from harder times. You know, it obviously means something different to a 40-year-old than it would a five-year-old. And uh, you know, we have to change our jaded ways. But I love these days. This is my favorite Billy Joel song. So, yeah, yeah. This, there's a lot of every verse has a good line in it. You know, the guy's just a genius. It's just kind of like the way this song encompasses um, closing an entire chapter of your life and opening up a new one, you know? And it's something I guess you don't realize until you have lived through it. Um, but uh, when I was a kid, I liked Billy Joel, and I used to go down to the post office to get the mail, and the woman who worked at the post office found out I like Billy Joel and she used to, you know, give me records and, and, and stuff like that too. So uh, adults encouraged me to, you know, like this kind of music, you know. I guess everybody thought it was kind of, you know, when kids are six and seven, they don't even have a taste in music. And I just, from early on, now, yeah, so. It, it's interesting because Billy Joel is so far from punk rock. I, I tell me about it, right? <laughs> My name is Bernard. See, it's, it's always about the program with me. I can't speak for no one else, but it's, that's where that with, with me. That's where my heart is at, because I'm loving this program. And I thank God that, that y'all was able to get it, come into prison and give us this opportunity. Like I said, that's just why I'm, I'm very grateful. I can't even express myself how, how it makes me feel. I, I look forward to this every time. I don't want to miss a day. If they can come five days a week, I would be here five days a week, and that's the truth. It changed a lot of these guys' hearts, because like they was laying dormant, wasn't my doing nothing. And for this program, you can see, I can see it in their faces, like, you know, how they look forward to this. I mean, I, I remember I had a girlfriend when I was 16, and she, 
I'm listening to this stuff and then I'm listening to her stuff and that's where I got introduced to like Throwing Muses and PJ Harvey and just all this. And then I'm like, wow, how did I not know about that? Like I felt like an idiot that I didn't know this stuff, you know. Amazingly enough, I, I never took the time to play an instrument or be in a band. I was busy with it. I'm also a mechanic and I'm always working on cars and doing other things. And, and were you doing that before you were in here? Was that part of, was that your job? Or? Oh, actually, well, as a high. If you do, I think if you do what you truly love for work, you'll hate it. Uh, I was actually a, a house painter by trade, oh. but uh, I've always been mechanically inclined. So um, I didn't want to be, I had, yeah, I hadn't, well, yeah, Volkswagens, I guess. Really? But um, Buses? Yeah, I have a... buses? Yeah, it's... it's people, some people are obsessed with It's buses. my daily driver, yeah. Seriously? Yeah, a Volkswagen bus. Let me tell you a quick story. What's up? When I was in uh, high school... Okay. My boyfriend lived in our house for a while. Okay. Like, in the basement. He wasn't supposed to, right? And he worked in a great vault factory. So he had to get up, right, and go to work at 6.30 in the morning, right? Yeah. Well, he drove a VW bus, right? Fucking thing never started unless you pushed it. Of course not. I had to go out at 6.30 in the morning... 16 years old, push that bus down the driveway, even in the winter, so he could drop the clutch and get to work. I got the uh, the best Volkswagen bus story. Uh, when me. I was, when I first, we first got our licenses, me and my friends, uh, there was a point in time where we all had VW buses. There was like four of us. We all had campers, so we were going to, uh, you know, a fish show or whatever, just camping, and there was a little group of us. And my buddy Doug had one that was had automatic transmission. It was a 73 Volkswagen van. And we went to a dead show, and on the way back, the cable that runs the gas pedal snapped. Now, the engine's in the back, and the gas pedal's in the front. So we thought we were screwed. And it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and it was freezing cold and raining. And I said, do you have any gloves? And he said, yeah, why? Why, in the back of the bus, you can open up this panel and expose the engine from inside. So I sat above the engine, with a glove on and worked the carburetor by hand while my buddy Doug drove and used the brake and I had everybody move so I could look out the windshield from the back so the two of us drove it kind of like an old fire truck oh. I shit you not and it wasn't like it was just to get home like we had to go all the way to Fraser to drop off one person and Coatesville to drop off another and then we had to go to Ephrata and then so we were you know it was like a 60 mile round and he just said are you alright and I'm like yeah just keep going you know and it was just know that you could even it just came second nature to me. It's just, a, it's crazy. You know, that's how it was. Wow. Only in a Volkswagen. Meters, right? That shit doesn't. Ha that shit doesn't happen in a Honda, you know, right. <laughs> or Ford Taurus. It's Seriously. just, yeah, they have no soul. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable in my skin now at this Please. point. So it seems like you are. Yeah, I'm a bit eccentric. I kind of feel like, well, you are eccentric, but I kind of feel like maybe this thing is is fitting you. Now. Well, not prison. No, I don't. But I don't. I gotta get out of here. But uh, yeah, music. Yeah, exactly. In the end, Mike and I were just two people telling groovy stories about our past. Two people listening to each other, and two people wanting to be heard. Part of the work that I do now um, is born out of a promise that I made the man. I want the world to know that there's something positive there. Yeah. And I mean that. Yeah. So I will do anything that I can do yes. to fulfill that promise. Yes. There are positive things 
there are people who have changed and redemption is real. Yes. And I want people to know that. Yes. That's beautiful. And I made the same kind of promise. I have a covenant with those men, but also that I hold them in my heart. Absolutely. Every day. Absolutely. Not just the men's, for me, not just the men from Songs in the Key of Free. Oh, no. But for me, um, there's 3,600 guys that, you know, probably about half of them have my heart. Yes. Yeah, that's a yeah. real big heart you got there. Well, I, I, I genuinely care about the men. song at the end. Thank you for talking with us, Superintendent Cynthia Link. Thank you to our hosts, Warren and August. Thank you to Fumi for the website, Caitlin Larson on our social media. If you haven't already, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, we also have a Patreon too. Just look up at Prison Profits or Prison Profits Anywhere and you'll find us. And last but not least, thank you to Nick Shan, my special friend, for doing the mastering on this episode. Till next time, folks. <laughs>